Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We're Forward Radio WFMP broadcasting out of the top of the historic Hayburn building at 106.5 FM. Or maybe you're listening to our live stream at forwardradio.org. We want you to go to that website to become a part of our community radio station today. We do this with volunteer power, so maybe you want to get your voice behind these microphones. And we also do it with listening contributions to keep us on air. It only costs $20 a day for this great community treasure. And you can contribute today at forwardradio.org to keep us strong and on the air and broadcasting the voices of the community. My name is Justin Mogg and on Sustainability Now, each week we gather folks from around the community to talk about various issues in sustainability. And this week we're going to talk about the state of energy democracy, let's put it that way, in Louisville and Kentucky. I've got on the line with me in the virtual studio, three members of a new newish organization. I'm going to find out about the full history of this group here today called PPL Shareholders for Energy Democracy. PPL, of course, is the bigger utility that owns our local uh, LG&E. Pennsylvania Power and Light is what they are formally known as. And there are some folks on the line who have uh, become shareholders of that company to try and influence what they do for the better and for the good of the community. And those folks are Wallace McMullen joining us again. Uh, Wallace is involved in many organizations. Welcome back to Sustainability Now, Wallace. Thank you. It's good to have you here. I'm also excited to meet some new friends. We've got Deborah Navgaradov. I know I butchered the name the second time, but I did it pretty good the first time. She's also a member of PPL Shareholders for Energy Democracy. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. Glad to be here. And also on the line with us is Kimberly Brown. She is not only a member of this group, but a landowner in Bullitt County who's been struggling with uh, LG&E's uh, pipeline to Jim Beam. We're going to talk about that issue again. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you, Justin, and thank you, thank you so much for letting us speak today. Oh, yeah, no, this is why we're here, to get these kinds of community voices on the air and speak some truth to power here. That's the theme of the day, is, <laughs> is power. So who wants to start and tell me a little bit about this group, PPL Shareholders for Democracy? What's the history? When did you form and why? We sort of started last year when a number of us discovered that we were shareholders and PPL has been doing their annual shareholder meeting virtually online, but four of us submitted questions to them last year asking about things like the Bellarmine pipeline, the Jim Beam pipeline, and why they're doing some other things that distressed us. And I don't know. I've got a list of things that distress me and 25 other people in about here said they're interested. So I guess I'm not alone. But you know that there's a rate case which is sort of settled with a settlement agreement. But LG and EKU, they're one of three subsidiaries. And uh, like the Pennsylvania one has gotten an award for efficiency programs. LG and E has canceled most of our efficiency programs that help low income residential folks yes i and, wanted to talk about that too because i was as a you know customer i was shocked to suddenly it, it, it seemed like just a, a switch was literally flipped on these energy efficiency programs where one day they're promoting them to me in my monthly bill and and the next month it, they're gone right <laughs> yeah 
Hey, Wallace, I, I would uh, jump in uh, just to fill out the story of PPL a little bit more. I joined with Wallace and actually bought shares last year specifically because I was concerned about some of the things that lg and &E was doing locally. And at the time, the two that were really concerning to me were the net metering issues and the pipeline. So I bought shares because of my concerns. I didn't just happen to have shares. And I think many of the folks who've joined this year uh, have joined for the same reason. And how many shareholders are we talking about here that are in this group? I think we're up to 26 Yeah. 26? Yeah, wow. Wow. Is this a common uh, strategy of utility customers? That Does this happen in other cities where uh, citizens band together to buy shares so they can have some influence in their local utility? Or or is this your, your unique idea? We're not the first ones to think of it, but it's pretty unusual as far as I know. Uh, let me mention a couple of other things. I mean, we're upset with uh, what they asked for in the rate case, particularly trying to get a really high monthly charges for just being connected without consuming anything. What they asked for in this rate case would have been $474 a year just to be connected to gas and electricity without getting any gas and electricity. Wow. Now that got knocked down in the settlement agreement. They're going to get just $400 a year before they provide any service in the way of gas and electricity. So that bothered me. They want to spend $400 million on so-called smart meters. Mm. When the ones we've got are working perfectly well and will continue to work, expected to work for another decade. They spent $300,000 on lobbying for policies that hurt the customer. Pack on net metering that we'll talk some more about. So, you know, these things got me bothered. And so I started talking to people found Kimberly. And as I say, uh, as I encountered folks and told them I was concerned about this and, and bought a few shares, well, other folks did too. Yeah. And their annual meeting is May 18th. Uh, one of our members, Kathy Hanko, has already typed in a, a kind of a, a tirade against what she sees as their racist policies ah. with attracting more revenue from densely populated areas in the West End and sort of going light than the uh, customers who were spread out more in prosperous neighborhoods. She had a, <laughs> a pretty intense and lengthy talk about that and submitted it as a question. But, Hopefully they'll read at their shareholder meeting. Yes, yes. I failed to mention it at the top of the hour. The sort of excuse for getting you on the air this week is that coming up on Tuesday the 18th, there's going to be a, a shareholder meeting, an annual meeting of PPL, and you all are going to be there asking some pointed questions. So I don't imagine that this is open to the public and something all of our listeners could tune into or even probably even hear a recording of, right? These are for shareholders only. Is that correct? You had to be a shareholder on February 26th in order to participate. Okay. Okay. And, um, and we'll get to some of the questions that you're going to ask. Uh, yeah. But before we do that, I wonder if we could get a little more context about PPL. Because, I mean, I'm just wondering if these questions you're raising are, they're not necessarily just Louisville-specific, right? PPL is a big company serving lots of populations, right? So what's the scope of this work, in a sense? It seems like their three subsidiaries are very different. Now, one of them is in southern England. And those folks are doing workshops on sustainability 
and huh. a meeting of an international standard. But they, they seem to be pretty well aware of what they should do to address climate change in Southern England. The Pennsylvania subsidiary does not generate electricity, distributes it. And as I say, I was interested to read about them getting an EPA award. And then we have <laughs> the Kentucky operations, which are trying to squash net metering and canceling electricity programs and seem to be coming from an entirely different perspective. Hmm. So there is a bigger scope, but we're obviously more concerned about what's happening right here in Louisville and Kentucky. And let's talk about some more detail about what those issues are. Kimberly, if you want to just give us a sort of overview of where we're at with this pipeline issue that's been covered on this station many times before, but it's kind of a long tangled tale, right? So tell us where we're at on the Bullock County pipeline right now. Justin, Where we are with the Bullock County Pipeline, as you know, some of us refer to it now as the Jim Beam, Mm. lg Louisville Gas and Electric Company, Jim Beam Pipeline. And I think that's far more fitting. This pipeline is taking lands, generational farms. It's taking land designated to U.S. veterans suffering from suicidal thoughts. It's taking conservation land. It's taking Bernheim Forest. It's taking 40 acres of forest. And some people think, well, that's just Bernheim, but it's not. Those those acres are privately managed for us right. as well. And I think much came to light in our recent condemnation case. lg pursued condemnation of the remaining landowners or the holdouts as they talk about us. That's what they call <laughs> us on their PPL web page. They call us the holdouts and blame us entirely for the fact that the pipeline is not in the ground and operational. But The truth is, during our condemnation hearing, Lonnie Villar was forced to testify. And of course, Lonnie Villar is the chief operating officer of LG&E. And what came Mm -hmm. to light was that all of the increased gas capacity in this pipeline, if it ever does get built, 100% of that gas will go completely to Jim Beam for the first two years, 100% of the gas. And for the next three years following that two-year period, between 95 and 98% of the gas will go to Jim Beam. The other thing is Lonnie Ballar had to testify that while they originally tried to charge Jim Beam, I, I think Jim Beam, this was Jim Beam's testimony, not to confuse the two, but the head of operations for Jim Beam testified that originally lg wanted to charge them between 20 and $25 million for their pipeline. They said no. And so now every single ratepayer paying an lg utility bill. That means you, me, every single mother trying to put food on her family's right. table, every working family, every senior citizen on a fixed income, right? All of us are going to pay for this pipeline for a private interest, right? There's, there, is no, there is no public need, as lg testified before the Public Service Commission. There is no public need. It's, it's simple private greed. This pipeline benefits Jim Beam Centauri, and it benefits lg and PPL shareholders, right? So that's where we are. That, that, that's where we are. Jim Beam, the head of operations, testified that they had strategy meetings. Jim Beam said, no, we don't want to pay for our, our gas pipeline. And so then they had strategy meetings. And as a result, the burden got shifted on all of the ratepayers, and mm-hmm. not, not Justin, not the 20 to 25 million originally it was going to be charged to Jim Beam, but now we have a $74 million price tag. Wow. Wow. Right? <laughs> as as LGE is before the Public Service Commission, 
asking for yet again another rate increase, the third one in four years. Right. Right. So, and all of this is just outrageous to me. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that they're trying to run this pipeline lands that, is, I'm sorry, is the language conservation easement. I mean, Bernheim is, is protected land. And just the precedent that they can run something like this through land that is conserved in this way, I just find totally mind boggling and disturbing and LGE should understand that it, it needs to have some public goodwill you know there are a lot of corporations yes they're in the business to make money I, I don't think we can fault them for wanting to make money but to do it in this way that is so counter public opinion is mind-boggling they are completely out of step with other corporations I believe I'm speaking today with members of PPL's Shareholders for Energy Democracy, a group of uh, citizens who've bought shares in PPL, the holding company for our local utility, LG&E, to try and influence the decision-making of the corporation uh, to better serve the citizens of Louisville and to think more about things like renewable energy and energy efficiency and not destroying conservation areas in their work. And those folks are, you just heard from Deborah Navgaradov and uh, we're also speaking with Kimberly Brown and Wallace McMullen today. You know, the point I wanted to make, too, was that Bernheim isn't just a, you know, a special piece of nature. It's also a, an economic generator for our tourist economy in the region, right? Like we could look at Jim Beam and say, oh, well, bourbonism is going to save the state, right? And it's an important source of tourist revenue. But so is a place like Bernheim. People come from all over the country to visit this special place. How could we think to destroy it? <laughs> That's a very good point, Justin. And it's been an interesting struggle there. You know, LG&E needs a number of permits. Almost every time I talk to Kimberly, she's busy preparing for a court hearing on <laughs> one of the permits. And Justin, that's the other interesting thing. Lonnie Ballar um, also testified that to date, despite the fact that they want to blame the holdouts for the gas pipeline not being built, a few weeks ago, they had no permits. Right. 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 <laughs> oh, by the way, you know, Suntory is a Japanese company. I mean, we're, we're not even talking about a U.S.-based company. I mean, none of this makes sense to me, that all of this would benefit Jim Beam and not local residents. And why does Jim Beam even need to be where it is? If they really wanted to be close to a pipeline, couldn't they relocate? <laughs> For a lot cheaper than $25 million or whatever we're talking about now for this pipeline? I mean, come on. Really? Did you say $75 million? 70. Now, now we're up to $74 million. This yes. does not yes. seem logical by any means. Um, my goodness. Uh, and, and, you know, it's easy to focus on Bernheim because it's a place we all love and know so well and care about. And seems like such a, you know, it's such a rapidly eroding gem of a large block of protected nature. But let's talk about some of these holdouts, as they're called, right? Some of these landowners and their cultural heritage and history on the land. Kimberly, do you want to tell your story about your farm or any of your neighbors who've been impacted by this project? Sure. Most of us have similar stories. You know, the Rummages are a wonderful example. They are a fifth generation farm. They have 500 acres. 
farming is is really important, Justin. I mean, the utility company is not going to provide your food, is it? You right. know, and I'm not, and I'm and I'm not saying that it's not important. I, I, you know, we all need we all need energy, right? It's really important. But I think another thing to talk about that's that's very important is that, for instance, my farm. I've actually leased my farm to a global solar company that's going to do a large solar installation. Oh, nice. Yes. So the interesting thing will be to see where I end up. I mean, at this point, I guess I get to sit back and see if LG&E is going to do the right thing or if they're going to condemn not just me, but now the solar company as well. I think LG&E, I think that the entire world, right, we all agree that green, renewable, that's where we want to go, right? So why... Why is LG&E still pushing a fossil fuel, right? Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. When, when the very same lands, you know, they're, they are condemning and basically stealing the lands from farm families for pennies. Justin, you heard this from other, other people that have been on your radio show. I mean, they're not, they're offering us pennies for the yeah. land. And then moving forward with condemnation, where solar companies want the exact same land. And they're coming in and they're paying farmers incredible money, Right. And, and, and solar companies are different. They're wired differently. They're economically minded, right? They don't come in and cut down vast forests, right? They, they don't. Um, and I've had more than one solar company interact with me and look at my land during the same time period that LG&E was looking at my land. And the experience in negotiating with solar companies versus with LG&E was night and day. Mm. Wow. Can you talk a little bit more, too, about what the what condemnation would mean to your land? Does it divide up your farm into separate parcels? Does it restrict your access? What is it? What would it actually look like if they were successful? On my land, I think that you've had other people talk about this, but all along, LGE has been warned in writing by other impacted utility companies about the karst terrain, sinkholes, the fact yeah. that East Kentucky Power put in writing, and it's in court discovery, where they actually warned lg about the unstable soil along the pipeline path that lg has chosen. And so on my farm in particular, if lg is successful in condemning me, it actually changes my farm. Pretty much a slice of absolute heaven to, at best, a medium consequence area, and at worst, a high consequence area, which means that it would be likely a, a very dangerous place. Wow. Yeah. A lot of the people along this pipeline path have no access to city water. Hmm. Right? One right. lane roads going in and out. On the rummages land, Algini, even though their own newsletter says flooding is one of the number one causes of leaks and explosions and one of the biggest detriments to pipelines, they are actually trying to run their pipeline through a floodplain that literally floods every time it rains. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you had this hearing, a, a condemnation hearing, right? Is it just for your land or is it for all all of the remaining it's, holdouts? It's all the remaining holdouts. Wow. All of us together, yes. And are you sitting in front of a judge or is this the public service commission or who is this hearing in front of? It was in front of Judge Burris in the Bullock County Court System, yes. Okay, in Bullock County mm -hmm. Court System. Yeah. Do you have a decent lawyer? I mean, this must be expensive. <laughs> it, it is It is very expensive. And, you know, we've written letters to Jim Beam saying, do you understand that you are literally bankrupting poor farm families? I mean, you, you are robbing children's college funds. You're raiding any retirement accounts that are there. I mean, yes, we've, we've been at this for four years, Justin. 
This has become yeah. for many of us a full-time job and it's, and it's taken every penny many of these farm families have fighting this. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That makes me think, is there a support fund established for you all that our listeners could contribute to or anything like that? There is not. We're all individually just mounting up <laughs> massive legal yeah. bills. Yes. But we do have a fantastic attorney. We do. I do. His name is John Cox and he's wonderful. And, you know, <laughs> journalist, we, Ryan Van Velzer. Yes. Oh my gosh. How wonderful is he? I mean, he has been, <laughs> he has, he has written numerous articles that I, I wish people would go and read. Um, the first was Jim Beam wanted more gas, but didn't want to pay for it. The next one I think was, let's see, yeah, lg and &E records show Bernheim pipeline would primarily benefit Jim Beam. He wrote another one about Bernheim forest. And I would encourage everybody to go read the articles that, yes. that Ryan Van Velzer has written about this pipeline Yes, the to really get an understanding of, of what Jim Beam Centauri and what lg and &E has put farm families through. Yeah, yeah. The power right. and importance of radio. Our colleagues over there at the Louisville Public Media, check them out at WFPL.org. I think you can find most of that reporting from Ryan Van Velzer, who has been a former guest on this show, too. Yeah, he's a great yeah. reporter. I really respect his work. He's incredible. He's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So do we know when this case will be resolved? Did the judge give any indication of when decision will be made on these holdout properties like yours? <laughs> The, the decision could come at any time. Oh, wow. The decision, yes, the decision could come at any time. Wow. Uh, well, is there a way that our listeners can uh, advocate besides perhaps purchasing shares and joining your group? Is there any recommendations y'all would have for how our listeners can get involved in expressing their views about the pipeline and other issues we'll talk about today? Yes, please write the Public Service Commission. Please write the Kentucky Public Service Commission. Yes. Um, let me chip in. Kimberly, aren't some of these permits being handled by the environmental cabinet and they would be a, a good target for messages also? Yes, absolutely. The energy and environment cabinet would be a great one. Right to the energy and environment cabinet, the public service commission. You know, the big issue is the CPCN, which I didn't know. So I'll just tell your listeners that stands for the Certificate of Public Convenience and Necessity. And that was actually issued years ago by the Public Service Commission for this project. And it was issued, but lg &E never actually applied for it. And now that this thing is $74 million, I'm really hoping that the Public Service Commission, the commissioners at the Public Service Commission, demand that lg and &E reapply for a certificate of public convenience and necessity. Because I think if they did that, and if they were honest, <laughs> in my mind, Jim Beam Centauri, a global bourbon company, doesn't scream public need to me. And it also, <laughs> it also doesn't scream to me that the working class of Kentucky and senior citizens living on fixed incomes, that the rest of the, all of us should be paying for Jim Beam Centauri's energy source. It seems absolutely, absolutely ludicrous yeah. to me. Right? So would writing to Jim Beam help? You've asked us to contact our public officials, but is it worth pressuring Jim Beam or, or uh, sharing your opinions about Jim Beam uh, with uh, media outlets and, and on social media? What do you think? I think that would be absolutely wonderful. Yes. <laughs> is a boycott yes. in order? I'm willing to boycott. <laughs> I was just going to ask the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I think we should come back to this because I know of a couple of other points about the disaster in Bullock County that Kimberly hasn't touched on. But 
I want to come back to the net metering situation. Yeah, let's talk about net metering, yeah. Because we need clean energy that doesn't emit greenhouse gases. And the more people that can do that, the better. There's other advantages, like a more diversified energy supply is more resilient and doesn't break down as easily. It eliminates transmission line loss. So there was public hearings where people could talk to the Public Service Commission during the rate case. And a lot of people, I think about 70% of the people who spoke, that was the issue they were talking about. Wow. And Louisville Gas and Electric KU, they spent a lot of money lobbying the legislature to get a law that they hope will let them kind of squash homeowner holders. And Deborah, you were indicated you're really concerned about that. Am I missing some of this story? Well, I probably, this is one of the two issues that first got me involved in our PPL shareholders group. I just feel so strongly that people who individuals, residential customers who have spent money to put solar arrays on their homes because they're concerned about the environment, they're concerned about sustainable energy, they should get a payback that is fair and reasonable. You know, it takes a while to have your solar array system paid for. And what LG&E is proposing is, I think it's something along the lines of taking the 10 cents per kilowatt hour that solar array owners now get if they have excess energy to send back to LG&E. They're taking that down to two cents, two cents a kilowatt hour. So it's a fifth. And basically, that means that it'll take something like 39 years for somebody to get their system paid for through net metering. And, you know, by then, the life of the solar array is over and done. You know, it's just no longer worth it. So someone like myself who's thinking about putting a solar array on my home, I'm hesitating because, you know, my motivation is environmental, but there's only so much I can afford to spend against it. And if I don't get a payback, I and many others will really hesitate to do this. And the same goes for small businesses, for religious communities, all of which would really like to, you know, join in and work towards sustainable energy through putting up solar panels. And, you know, it just isn't going to make financial sense with the kind of proposal that LG&E has. So, you know, I just, I think that if our Public Service Commission authorizes this, it's just a disaster for the solar industry. And we have a lot of small business owners in Kentucky whose business is solar, and they're going to suffer tremendously. It's basically going to welch, you know, the, the business of putting up these solar arrays. And these guys, I have a good friend who spent a long time becoming very knowledgeable and knowing what he has to do, and he's, he's just terrific at doing this, he's going to have to go out of business for this. He's going to have to figure out something else to do after, you know, all of this studying and work to become a solar installer. So it's just really upsetting. You know, sustainable energy or renewable energy is one of the largest growing small businesses in the country right now. And basically propositions like LG&E's will just, you know, squash here in Kentucky. And it's really disturbing. 
I'm speaking today here on Sustainability Now with members of PPL shareholders for Energy Democracy. You just heard from Deborah Novgorodov, and we're also talking with Wallace McMullen and Kimberly Brown, who's a landowner out in Bullock County, directly impacted by the LGE Jim Beam pipeline being ran through their land, as well as Bernheim, as you've probably heard and seen the yard signs around town. And we're talking about some of the questions that they're going to be asking the holding company of LGE PPL at the annual shareholder meeting coming up on Tuesday, May 18th. What are some of those questions with respect, especially to net metering? Well, one of the questions that goes like this, there was a lot of testimony in the current LG&E rate case opposed to devaluing rooftop solar. Might this consumer ill will have a negative impact on PPL future revenue and regulatory issues? So that's sort of that's sort of a formal way of saying what we've been talking about. Yeah. But here's another interesting angle. The Louisville Metro government, of course, has a greenhouse gas reduction plan and has passed a resolution calling for 100% renewable energy. And so one of the questions we have composed is Louisville Metro government has a policy that encourages individual solar installation and is encourages solar use uh, as evidenced by their new partnership with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. But LG&E has been seeking to undermine the financial reimbursement for home solar. Doesn't this risk creating future problems for the Kentucky subsidiaries? Yeah, Part I mean, of it, on the same idea, I guess. But actually, it is interesting that the Louisville government has adopted this 100% renewable energy resolution. I think all of us on this call applaud that. And it's no question what LG and EKU is pushing here and will make it harder to achieve. Yeah, these questions make me wonder, you know, this this isn't even just an issue of being a tree hugger and wanting to do the right thing. Like, it seems like what they're doing is just bad for business. Well, and I was just going to add one more thing to my tirade on the (laughs) net meter, if I may. And that is, you know, this whole thing is just crazy because LG&E is already making a lot of money from those who put solar arrays on their homes during the summer. Uh, well, our church, for example, has a big set of solar panels. Awesome. And during during the week, you know, we're not in the building during the week. And so it's generating electricity, which they're paying us at the moment 10 cents on the kilowatt hour. And they're turning it around and selling it to customers at 26 cents during these peak hours. So they're already making a ton of money. It's like, you know, hello, folks. <laughs> and, How much do you need to make? And they didn't have to spend the money on the power plant it's a small power plant but right and they, or maintaining it right that's all on the Correct. homeowners so why wouldn't they love it i just don't understand why they insist on having a monopoly on power generation it just doesn't make any sense Correct. Well, <laughs> we agree i mean we've no about, argument here <laughs> we've talked about the transmission equipment lasts longer when it has less electric load they don't have to run their emission control they emit less pollutants, which is good for the health of the community. There's lots of upsides to homeowner rooftop solar, and uh, yet they've spent an awful lot of money trying to squash it. Do we know why they canceled the energy efficiency programs that lg used to offer? Was that something to do with federal policy in the Trump administration, or what, what was that about? No, that was strictly on um, their initiative here. 
they announced to the Public Service Commission that they had decided that the electricity that was saved had no value. They valued it at 0.00. <laughs> and then they said, you know, Public Service Commission, we shouldn't do activities that don't generate money. Now, efficiency is good for the community. Not only does it make us more competitive on the national and international economic marketplace, but again, reduces pollution, saves money for the lowest income folks who need to save all the money they possibly can. And I personally feel that um, Louisville Gas and Electric should be trying to help with economic development in the lower income west side neighborhoods. And I think that one of the things we haven't gotten into is this business of the high monthly connection fee. Yeah. It hurts the west side much more because those homes are close together and there's lots of meters. And if they're getting $400 a year from every single meter, they get a lot of money from a compact neighborhood. Not nearly so much from spread out ones. And uh, as I mentioned, one of our members filed a, a pretty heated treatise about the cheating. This is really racist on their part. Yeah, um, I, I can't document that nearly as well as uh, Kathy Henko can, the author of that piece. But it's certainly something to think about. It just and makes sense that this is this is a regressive policy. If you don't charge people based on how much electricity they use, but you or natural gas, but you charge them for the privilege of being tied into the meter, and then everybody's paying a very high base rate, and the per kilowatt hour rate is low. It certainly, it doesn't incentivize conservation, but it also hits those who are the least users the hardest, and that means the poorest among us, right? Or the small businesses, or small non profits or hell just at U of L where I work we have hundreds of LG E meters it's not like there's one meter for the whole university right so we have to start paying so much more for our electricity because of all these different connection points when we're really just one customer right so even the big players like a U of L can be harmed by this but yeah let's keep a focus on the justice impact here and how do, how can this possibly be justified as as good business well Justin, you're asking very good questions. <laughs> Justin, you know, as we're talking about social injustice, I think another issue that I've become aware of out in Bullitt County is in court discovery, you know, the Calvary line. We, we have pipes that are unearthed. They're exposed. They're floating in Cox's Creek. And through court discovery, we've discovered that they are literally disintegrating into our water, right? Wow. And they're covered. The, the LGE's own court discovery says that they are coated in coal tar, and that is disintegrating into our water, what? right? Yes, and it says that they should be treated by LGE employees as asbestos, and goes on to talk about the coal tar. So a company that's making the kind of money that LGE is making, right? Then they turn around, and in my opinion, they loan their rights to eminent domain to another for-profit company, right? Jim Beam Suntory. They're allowing Jim Beam Suntory to borrow their power of eminent domain to condemn and steal poor farm families' lands, right? And then to add insult to injury, they're poisoning our water. Mm. And these are people that have no access to city water. No right. access to city water, right? So you start kind of looking at all of this. And, you know, at first, I think when I joined, when, when Wallace came to me and said, hey, let's start this group, right? At first, you know, we all came together and you got 25 people and you start looking 
at everybody's issues individually and you say, okay, she's about net metering. She's about fighting the pipeline. Right. He's about solar. He's about, and then all of a sudden you don't see it that way anymore. Right. <laughs> There's all these common themes. Yeah. And really the common theme is this lg and is a monopoly right. for profit company whose only interest, the only special interest they represent is their own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's to the detriment of all of us, not just the rate payer. They are completely tone deaf. And their actions are the de to the detriment, not only of their own rate payers, right? But the detriment of all Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Kimberly, because that was exactly how I wanted to end our conversation. Unfortunately, we're in out of time here, but uh, the, the focus, keeping the focus on the monopoly power of a private corporation, I think is super important. Uh, you know, it has been supposedly a strong part of American history to resist monopolistic corporate power. And yet we see it happening, not just with lg &E, but other situations too today. And I think, I think what we should end on is what do we think a true energy democracy would look like if we could start from scratch here and, and get rid of this monopoly corporate power what would energy democracy look like for the citizens of jefferson county and bullock county wow <laughs> great question yeah well i i think a, a lot more tuned in to the needs of farmers poor people uh, the wealthy would pay the amount that they should be paying based on their use not on just that they have one dwelling um, and sustainability issues would be taken into account how about you wallace what do you think well, I would add that we would really be moving rapidly to clean, renewable energy. And some people think that maybe a generating company and the distributing company that owns the telephone wires to your house would be separate companies to make it a more democratic relationship. I think that maybe is debatable, but certainly I really would like to see, um, as I've said, or a lot more interest in helping community economic development in the yeah. poor communities that are served by this uh, monopoly utility. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I would like to see them have efficiency programs that are uh, helpful to low and moderate income folks. Yeah. I really want to honor you all for doing this important work of promoting energy democracy as PPL shareholders. I wish you good luck in advocating for that on Tuesday at the shareholder meeting coming up. And once again, thank you all for taking the time to join me today on Sustainability Now. This was a super important and enlightening conversation, so I thank you for it. Thank you, folks. Thank you, Justin. Um, thank you so much. All right. Uh, stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a minute here on Forward Radio, your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas for how you can engage in helping make sustainability a reality now. So stay tuned, my friends. Summertime in August feels like we're gonna melt away And I've been working all the time And I need some holiday Watching all the clouds roll in I'm dreaming of another place 
one thing I know for sure, it feels like rain. And we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, on your community radio station, WFMPLP Louisville. And it is time now for our community action calendar. So get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out, my friends. It's a big week for sustainability if we all get involved. Coming up Tuesday, May 18th at 7 p.m. online, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, a proud Forward Radio community partner, will be holding their monthly presentation this month featuring Outings Chair Dave Stowicki giving a classic Sierra Club travel log about his hikes in the Western U.S. Dave recently shared his experience called Hiking in the Time of COVID-19 in the club's newsletter. And on Tuesday evening, he'll expand on this trip as he shares about his Western National Park's experiences, including Colorado's Black Canyon of Gunnison National Park. Featuring prominently in this will be a narrative of one particular experience in which he severely underestimated the difficulty of a trail he wanted to hike. He hopes that his experience will provide some insights and inspiration to others planning similar adventures. Dave Stowicki is an avid hiker, backpacker, and currently undertaking a self-inflicted crusade to visit and experience as many national parks as he can. When not on the trail, he volunteers for the Kentucky chapter of the Sierra Club and currently serves as their outings chair. Their programs, live or virtual, are always free and open to the public, and you can uh, register for this Zoom meeting coming up Wednesday the eight, uh, Tuesday the 18th at 7 p.m. by going to tinyurl.com slash kciwats. That's tinyurl.com slash kciwats. Now, coming up on Wednesday, May 19th at noon, it's the Kilowatt Crackdown Awards Ceremony. Come on out and learn what Louisville businesses and organizations have been doing to save energy during this year's virtual Kilowatt Crackdown Awards Ceremony on Wednesday at noon. Each year since 2007, the Louisville Energy Alliance has challenged Louisville businesses and organizations to reduce their energy use through the Kilowatt Crackdown. In addition to announcing the award winners, there will be an informative panel discussion where experts will describe the benefits of their energy efficiency improvements, the latest in energy efficient technology in buildings, and how they have managed energy during the pandemic. It'll include not only the award presentations, but uh, there'll be a panel discussion as well. Featured awards include the Kilowatt Cup, Environmental Sustainability, and Energy Efficiency by Building Type Awards. You can join them online on Wednesday at noon at tinyurl.com slash kilowattcrackdownlea for the Louisville Energy Alliance, tinyurl.com slash kilowattcrackdownlea. This is a great week to get involved with the Food in Neighborhoods Coalition. It's a community coalition that supports community efforts to build a just, healthy, and sustainable food system in Louisville. Members of Finn's Policy Action Working Group and Finn's Urban Agriculture Coalition, a proud Forward Radio community partner, have been collaborating with the UK Extension Agency to create a more robust and user-friendly inventory of land bank-owned vacant lots. The purpose of this project is to share detailed information about vacant lots with the public, particularly with residents of neighborhoods with many 
any vacant lots and to identify those that would be ideal for community-led urban agriculture projects. They're looking for a group of volunteers to help inventory these vacant lots. And the first volunteer date is set for this Wednesday the 19th from noon to 2 p.m. Also, the next Finn policy meeting is on Thursday the 20th from 5.30 to 6.30. And the next Urban Agriculture Coalition meeting is on May 27th from noon to 1.20 p.m. You can learn more and find the links to register for all of these events at foodinneighborhoods.org. That's foodinneighborhoods.org. Also on Wednesday the 19th at 6 p.m., it's the May Green Drinks Louisville, featuring the guest speaker Chantrice Martin from Feed the West and Black Market KY. And this will feature one of the Louisville Sustainability Council's community microgrant winners, Chantrice's Muse Farm. It was created in honor of all the black and indigenous farmers whose land has been stolen in our nation. Named for her great-grandmother, Willie B. Muse, this cultivation project is meant to teach horticulture to communities suffering from food apartheid. Muse Farm will be maintained by Black Market KY and serve hundreds of residents over the next nine months. The project includes a five-week intensive workshop series that will teach West End residents about horticulture, agribusiness, and fundraising to cultivate a richer understanding of food systems. 100% of seeds and food will be purchased from local Black farmers. Participants will be paid a stipend upon program completion. You can learn more at the May 19th Green Drinks and find the link to register for Wednesday's 6 p.m. event at louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org. That's louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org. After that, at 7 p.m. on Wednesday the 19th, you can join a great event hosted by Kentuckians for the Commonwealth Just Imagine Art Show Virtual Launch, Healing Harm, Sharing Grief, Envisioning the Kentucky We Deserve. Over the past year, a group of KFDC members from the Empower Kentucky Leadership Network have been working together to deepen KFDC's Just Transition work to imagine what justice and sustainability look like in an anti-racist Kentucky. In service of this reimagining, they put out a call to artists in late 2020, inviting artists of all genres to submit work that addresses their vision for a just transition to a just, sustainable, anti-racist future in Kentucky, how they have experienced joy, hurt, growth, or harm within KFTC's work for a just transition, and what they imagine our relationship with the environment and each other would be if we were free from the scarcity created by white supremacy. They're thrilled by the over 40 pieces of visual art, poetry, theater, music, textiles, video, and more, all submitted by Kentuckians with a vision for the world we're all trying to build. During this event, you'll hear from participating artists, engage and react with the submissions, and build relationships together. Through this process, we hope to emerge with new, inspiring, and expansive ways to communicate about a just transition for Kentucky. They plan to feed the ideas and stories reflected in the submitted art back into their just transition revisioning process and into KFTC's broader organizing strategy. It's going to be a super interesting event on Wednesday at 7 p.m. and you can RSVP now at bit.ly, that's bit.ly, bit.ly, slash just 
hyphen imagine hyphen art hyphen show bitly bit.ly slash just hyphen imagine hyphen art hyphen show now thursday may 20th at noon there's a great event hosted by the filson historical society featuring u of l music school dean Teresa reed on a way forward on race this talk will explore the patterns and habits that often make race a difficult subject for discussion reading excerpts from her forthcoming book you're likely not a racist answers for curious white people Teresa reed will share both data from research and insights from her own life experience she'll explore the paradigm that perpetuates racial tension and will argue for a new paradigm that can bring understanding healing and hope she will also address some of the awkward but honest questions about race that white people are often afraid to ask the outcome of her talk will be the sense that there is a path forward for all who seek diversity, equity, inclusion, and understanding. Teresa Reed holds a PhD from Indiana University where she studied in music theory, music history, and literature, and African-American history. She spent 25 years at the University of Tulsa serving as professor of music, director of the School of Music, associate dean, and director of the African-American Studies Certificate. She's authored three books, two of which have won national awards, and this is her fourth book. You can register for free. Find the link at filsonhistorical.org. That's filsonhistorical.org. On Thursday at 3 p.m., just after that noon talk, the uh, Surge May Action Hour Zap will take place online and everywhere if you're looking for an easy way to plug into the work for justice and to gain community organizing skills. Showing up for racial justice action zaps are back this spring to support the work of their partners to win racial and economic justice. Join us in weekly one-hour gatherings where we will call, text, or email whomever we are pressuring that day. You'll receive training and support throughout this session. Our May 20th Action Zap will be focused on abolition and defunding the police, amplifying the calls to action coming from communities who have lost young people of color to police murder. We will be taking action for 20-year-old Dante Wright's murder in Minnesota by demanding to recall Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman, demanding police accountability for the murder of Micaiah Bryant, the 16-year-old murdered by Columbus police, and much more. You can find the link to register at facebook.com slash showing up for racial justice. Facebook.com slash showing up for racial justice. On Friday the 21st at 1 p.m., it's Kentucky Thrive's Regenerative Agriculture Campaign Launch. If you can't do it on Friday, then you could also jump in on Saturday the 22nd at 11 a.m. The Sierra Club Kentucky chapter is preparing to launch a three-year campaign called Kentucky Thrives, which intends to help build a regenerative agriculture for the benefit of climate, soil, and all life. To introduce this campaign, they will hold two Zoom meetings, one on Friday, Friday at 1 p.m. and a second on Saturday at 11 a.m. You can RSVP to attend one or both of the programs, each of which is intended to stand alone, but about half of the content of both will differ. The programs will consist of introductory remarks, talks by organic food and agriculture professionals from around the state, and then a short panel discussion. Topics will include farm to school programs, a Kentucky soil health program, urban agriculture, and access to farmland. So 
bunch of great speakers coming up, and uh, it's going to be amazing. You can find the link to register at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. And again, you can register for Kentucky Thrives, the regenerative agriculture campaign launch, which is either Friday at 1 p.m. or Saturday at 11 a.m. at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Now, also coming up this Saturday, it's the next in Louisville Solid Waste uh, Management District's uh, pop-up drop-offs. And uh, this is an opportunity to recycle things for any Jefferson County resident, some of which could be your typical household recyclables, paper, plastic, metal, glass. Maybe you live in a place where curbside pickup is not available. But it's also an opportunity to recycle things like electronics, metal appliances, uh, to have products proper disposal of used prescription medications, yard waste, on-site paper shredding, and proper disposal of up to four passenger tires. And again, it's coming up this May 22nd at Eastern High School. That's uh, 12,400 Old Shelbyville Road. And it's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday. Also on Saturday, 10 to 2, it's the fourth annual Garden and Plant Swap taking place this year at the Green Space at Logan and Breckenridge. That's 967 Logan Street. Want new tools and plants for your garden without breaking the bank? Do you need to free up space in your garden or shed? Well, this event is for you. Bring any extra tools, plants, planters, lawn decorations, etc. to the Logan Street CSO Basin on Saturday the 22nd to donate or swap. If you don't have anything to swap, that's okay. Sometimes you just need a few tools and plants to get started. This is a free swap. Absolutely no items will be allowed to be sold. Popular items in the past include bulbs, garden fencing, wheelbarrows, herbs, succulents, seed packets, hoses, planter boxes, and tools. The Jefferson County Soil and Water Conservation District and other environmental partners will also be on hand with organization information and to offer gardening advice. For all the details, go to facebook.com slash Jefferson KYSWCD. That's Jefferson KYSWCD. Or just come on out this Saturday, the 22nd, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Logan Street and Breckenridge. Also on Saturday from 10 to noon out at the Jefferson Memorial Forest, it's an introduction to natural printing and dyeing. This is at uh, 11,311 Mitchell Hill Road in Fairdale, Kentucky. What happens when you combine botany, art, tradition, and chemistry into one? The fascinating world of natural printing and dyeing. Join us and learn how to find ingredients for dyes, how to use mordants, what ingredients indigenous people used as dyes, and much more. They'll be printing on and dyeing cloth as well as walking around the forest and surrounding areas, so dress to hike and get messy. The fee is $10 per anyone over age 10, and a parent and legal garden must accompany anyone under the age of 18. You can pre-register by calling 502-368-5404. Jefferson Memorial is, of course, the largest nature preserve in the county and the largest municipally owned urban forest in the U.S. It's the flagship of Louisville Metro Parks Natural Areas Division, which is responsible for stewardship, nature-based education, and recreation across eight other natural areas. 
areas, and it's located in the unique Knobs region of Kentucky, which is characterized by steep wooded slopes rising nearly 450 feet above the Ohio River Valley. It is a fantastic national park-like experience located just minutes from downtown Louisville, so come on out this Saturday at 10 a.m. for an introduction to natural printing and dyeing. Also on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., man, there's a lot to do this Saturday. Louisville Grows is having their Seeds and Start Sale Spring Closeout. You can finally shop the greenhouse for all plants and fruit trees that are buy one, get one free. On Saturday the 22nd, Louisville Grows will conduct this closeout sale at their greenhouse on Portland Avenue. Registration is not necessary, although they will limit the number of persons at one time in the greenhouse and massively required while shopping. These plants are ready to provide you food and beauty throughout the summer at bargain prices. So learn more at seedsandstarts.org. And again, it's Saturday. 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Louisville Groves Healthy House on Portland Avenue. And lastly, Monday, May 24th at 5 p.m., you can join the Zoom conversation on becoming anti-racist. Uh, and the topic this time will be color white and black. UofL invites you to move beyond conversations about racism and into anti-racist action by building a shared understanding of what it means to be an anti-racist and how to make appropriate action as both individuals and collectively in order to foster a more equitable and inclusive community. Conversation topics will be based on Dr. Ibrahim X. Kendi's best-selling text, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Reading is not required for participation, however. A collaborative effort between UofL's Office of Diversity Education and Inclusive Excellence, the Office of the President, and the Senior Associate VP for Diversity and Equity, as well as Louisville Alumni Association. You can find the link to register for Monday's five. 5 p.m. conversation on becoming an anti-racist at louisville.edu slash sustainability. And with lawn mowing season in full swing, there's just time to remind you here that you can get a $100 rebate on a clean mower. It's no secret that gas-powered lawn equipment is horrible for our local air quality and global climate change. It's old technology, like driving a car without a catalytic converter, producing dirty, unfiltered emissions. In fact, one hour of mowing with a typical gas-powered lawnmower produces the same amount of smog-forming pollution as driving your car for 200 miles from Louisville to Nashville. These emissions contribute significantly to ground level air pollution and are especially harmful to sensitive groups such as children and the elderly. The Louisville Metro Air Pollution Control District's Lawn Care for Cleaner Air program encourages Louisville Metro residents to reduce these harmful lawn related air emissions by using much cleaner electric or zero emissions human powered lawn equipment. APCD is offering rebates of up to $100 on residential mowers, as well as trimmers, leaf blowers, and their batteries, and up to $50 rebates on professional-grade string trimmers, leaf mowers, and their batteries as well. You can get yours today at louisvilleky.gov slash apcd slash lawn care. That's louisvilleky.gov slash apcd slash lawn care for rebates on cleaner mowers for the rest of the season. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hope you have a great week and I'll be back in your ears in seven days, my friends. Be well. Be well.